This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Thank you everybody for tuning in to the first 2016 episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world. Hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to everybody tuning in. It's good to be back. I feel refreshed, rejuvenated, ready to go for essentially the second half of the fantasy hockey season, which includes the fantasy hockey playoffs. That stretch drive is coming up, and we're here to help you get there. Yeah, after last week's absence, we are all systems go from here. We're planning on giving you lots of fantasy hockey content for the rest of the season. And we've got a huge episode today, Brian. So much to talk about. Two weeks worth of stuff to talk about. I've been keeping track of everything. So have you. And now we're going to try to just give you the fire hose of everything that's gone on that we think is noteworthy. Before we get into things, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. Just like in 2015, it remains the best fantasy hockey website in the world. It's fantastic. I go there all the time to check line combos and starting goalies, the articles. I read the Daily Ramblings every morning. I use the search tab to find players and their player profiles when I want to see, oh, who's Drew Stafford been playing ever since Mark Scheifele got injured? You could go and see exactly who he's been playing with, who else has been playing with who in Winnipeg. Like just You could go to the player profile, you see everything. You see their PDO and other advanced stats. DauberHockey.com is basically a site where you can find anything you need to know about fantasy hockey. What else could you want? You're listening to Fantasy Hockey Podcast. You need to go to DauberHockey.com. And DauberHockey.com is also ringing in the new year with their mid-season fantasy hockey guide for 2016, second half projections, sleepers, historical trends and prospects. It's all going to be released within the next week on January 8th. A lot of people use this. You don't want to be left behind. You can go take a look at it over at DauberHockey.com. All right, sir, let's get into things. How about we start with some news that just came out like an hour ago? So I already wanted to talk about how Jonathan Druin was sent to the AHL. And this has been a bummer of a season for Jonathan Druin, right? Like people drafted him expecting that he would finally be able to have his breakout year after an okay season last year. He didn't get that much time. He was benched a lot in the playoffs. But we all thought this would be the year to draft him and expect, I don't know, 50 points, hopefully 60 points, but it really hasn't come to fruition. He got sent to the minors, and now the news just came out that he's asked for a trade. So, Brian, like, a lot of people have been asking us, what do they do with Bruin? If they're in deep keeper pools, you know, a keep 10, obviously, like, a keep 4, you're not going to keep Bruin. You don't even want him on your team right now. He's not even in the NHL. But people who maybe added them to their team, like, years ago, a couple years ago, 
expecting that one day he would be the cornerstone of their fantasy hockey team. What can they expect from Druin going forward? And what do you do as a Druin owner? And I guess also, what do you do if Druin's a free agent in your league? You said bummer of a season, Elon. More like bummer of a career so far. Things have gotten really bad, and they've gone from bad to worse, not just with Druin getting demoted, but now with Alan Walsh publicly stating, releasing a statement that he requested a trade for his client earlier this year. And that just adds to the sort of unrest in Tampa, what's going on with Stamkos, what happened with Marty St. Louis a couple years back. And you know, like Alan Walsh has this reputation for doing this sort of thing, for ruffling feathers and getting media attention for his unhappy players. And so you might feel like rolling your eyes at it, except when you look at Duran's draft class, he is one of two players drafted in the top 10 who have yet to play 100 games in the NHL. And I mean, some of those games played, he's been playing so few minutes too. So if you look down the list, he's played drastically fewer minutes than others in his draft class, including other guys who have like become NHL mainstays without you even realizing it necessarily, like Elias Lindholm and Sean Monahan. They were in the same draft class as Duran, but they are light years ahead in terms of settling into their lineups, settling into their careers. Bo Horvat has even played more games than Jonathan Duran since being drafted. So it makes sense that Duran and his representation are not quite happy with what the Lightning have been doing. And what they've been doing is really easing him along so slowly. I'm not sure exactly what the expectation is for him at the NHL level, but generally with your third overall pick, you don't necessarily just ease them into the league over two seasons. Look at McKinnon, look at Barkov, both drafted just ahead of Druin. They were guns blazing once they came into the league, and I suppose that's what could have been, or maybe should have been, expected for Druin. So now you're sitting there with this asset who you thought was great, but is really struggling this year. If you're in a keeper situation, I actually think this trade request is good news for you. It's better news than what you got the day before about Duran's demotion. You have reason to at least think that maybe some wheels are in motion to fix the situation, that at least the issue can't be ignored for a whole lot longer. Whatever's happening with Duran either gets fixed in Tampa Bay or he gets sent out Or, I suppose, worst case scenario, still nothing happens and everybody just digs in really hard. If you're in a league where you might be able to keep Druin, I wouldn't give up on him quite yet. Except I do think that depending on the depth of your league, you might be able to drop him now. And then you just want to be a little bit ahead of the curve when the next piece of news comes up with Druin and be able to grab him as soon as you can. Right. Perhaps as a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning, we could start to not expect him to be the valuable fantasy asset we were hoping for. But if he does get traded, you know, we'll have to reassess and you want to be ready on the trigger if it's a good situation for him. You know, it's hard to say at this point, like, is it his skill or is it the opportunity he's had? Like, Brian, if we were to control for ice time, which we know he hasn't been getting that much of, like, how's his points per 60? Has he been a good player when he's been on the ice? I mean, there were stretches where he was playing alongside Steven Stamkos, so the opportunity was there for him to put up points, and I don't recall him really ever doing it. I just get kind of curious to know if we can really expect much to change in a different situation. You know, he's played so few minutes in the NHL that it's hard to really tell you what his current career sample size means, necessarily. If you look at the guys who are around him, they've all played five or 600 more minutes in the last two seasons. But if I'm looking at just the last two seasons, he is in the top 70, say, which is, you know, nothing to sneeze at. If you look at comparables, you've got Henrik Sedin, Jakub Voracek, Pavel Datsuk, Chris Versteeg, Jordan Eberle, David Backus, Brendan Gallagher are the guys sandwiching him on either end, except, again, they have played many more minutes 
than he has. Well, you know what? You've answered my question. Like, at least we know that he's been able to put up points comparable to some of these stars, you know, if you account for the number of minutes he's played. So it would be interesting to see how he would do with more minutes. Maybe the reason why he hasn't had more minutes is because the coach doesn't have faith in him. But it would be interesting to see what would happen if he gets a prominent role on another NHL team. I guess I still have my eye on him, but I'm curious to know if he'll get traded into where. For what it's worth, the player with the most similar profile to him in terms of both points per 60 and minutes played is Lance Boma, who is just about 10 spots down the list with a very similar amount of minutes played, just about 80 minutes fewer. Oh, well, that is not the greatest comparable if you are holding Druin in your keeper league. But okay, Brian, I guess that's a bummer of a way to start the show. So let's stay on the lightning and go to the complete other end. Because while if you're an owner of, say, Tyler Johnson or Andre Palat, you've definitely been disappointed this year, just like if you drafted Druin. One guy who you're definitely not disappointed with right now is Nikita Kucherov. This guy is on fire. He's currently riding an eight-game point streak in which he's picked up 12 points. That's in his last eight games. And this is a guy who at the beginning of the year, he started really slow. A lot of people were wondering if they should drop him. And I remember going into the season, I was excited about Kucherov because he had that great year last year with not that many minutes. And this year he's had many more minutes, maybe because of all the injuries on Tampa. But for whatever reason, he has definitely been one of the most valuable fantasy players like in all the league right now. And so, Brian, do you think that Kucherov is like going to be able to keep up this amazing pace? Maybe not over a point per game, but can we expect this production to continue? Or would you sell high on Nikita Kucherov right now? No, I think he's on track now. I think he's making up for lost time, and maybe, yeah, he's been a little hotter in recent games than he's going to be over the rest of the season. But if you look at what he's doing and how it's all sort of evened out from the bad to the good now, I'm into him. 30 points in 39 games puts him at a pace for about mid-60s by the end of the season, which I think is fair. It's about where we expected him. And if you look at what he's done relative to the other top six forwards in Tampa, he's ahead of them by a fair margin in points scored per 60 minutes at even strength. And of course, he's having success on the power play so far with 10 power play points. So no, I don't think this is a sell-high situation. Congratulations to everybody who toughed it out and props actually to Andy in the cupful who I tried very hard to rest Kucherov from earlier in the season he wouldn't bite and now he is reaping the rewards <laughs> well you know for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League I'd imagine it's hard for you to pull off a trade people kind of know that you know what you're talking about when it comes to fantasy hockey so probably it was just making him feel good about Kucherov when you were trying to trade for him but hey you know what if you have Palat or Johnson. The triplets line is finally back together. They're all healthy. They all played together in the last game. Palat actually had an assist. So maybe those guys will follow in Kucherov's footsteps and things will start getting back to normal for the Lightning because it's been, you know, not exactly the year that people were expecting after last year's long playoff run. Okay, one more player on the Lightning before we move on. A lot of people have been noticing Jonathan Marcheseau jumping onto the radar and jumping onto the score sheet a lot, especially in the last couple of weeks. Brian, I remember you messaged me and said, you know what, this Marshall, so he is now on my radar. I'm curious, did you end up picking him up in any of your leagues? I looked into it, but I didn't. Have you grabbed him? That seems like more the move that you would make, although I did look into it. <laughs> no, I'll tell you I haven't. But the reason why one would have is he was on an amazing stretch himself. He's picked up points in seven of his last nine games, eight points overall in that stretch. And he was on the top power play in Tampa and definitely reaping the rewards of those eight points. Four of them were on the power play. This is a guy who I hadn't even heard of before the last couple of weeks. And so it was quite a surprise. The thing that stopped me from taking him is that even though he was on the top power play, he was only playing on like the fourth line 
of the team during even strength. And that just doesn't seem like a recipe of something that can continue. And also, you know, he was playing on this top power play while a lot of Tampa's star players were injured. You know, the Tyler Johnsons and the Andre Palats. But you know, with all those players back, Marjusso has still been on the top power play, though he only played 9 minutes and 33 seconds in Tampa's game yesterday against Minnesota. So I don't know. I don't think that this could continue, though. It's great if he's on the top power play. And maybe if you are going to need to make a short term ad like for a day and he's available, maybe he's the kind of guy that could give you a power play point if that's what you're looking for. But I don't know. I'm not buying in just yet. Yeah, that's what stopped me, too. And I looked and saw where he was playing and how much he was playing to see his line mates right now. Recently, they've been Brian Boyle and Vladislav Nemesnikov. Not going to score a ton of points from that position in the lineup. Plus, he does sort of have this, like, power play specialist profile right now. Like, if you look at the share of his team's power play minutes that he's getting, it's like 60%, 80%, 65%, 63%, 70%. But then if you look at his ice time, he's regularly, like, 14 minutes or under. So he is pretty much just getting trotted out on the power play for sure, and then gets to see shifts every now and then on the third line during even strength. That's what stopped me from adding him, although I am excited to see him in the league. I do remember going down to the Bob Gertin Arena over in Gatineau, seeing the St. John Sea Dogs play against the Gatineau Olympique. It was Jonathan Huberdeau who was supposed to be the big star on the St. John's team at the time. But Odie Marcheseau and actually Jean-Gabriel Pajot did quite well for the Olympique too. I don't know why I'm getting into this. I'm starting to feel like Pierre Maguire. So let's move on. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely someone to still keep an eye on. But yeah, don't go crazy and drop an established player from your team to pick him up expecting this run of eight points in nine games to continue. Okay, let's talk about some other movement. We talked about Druin being sent to the AHL. How about a trade that happened last week? And I feel like we've kind of missed the boat. People were probably really excited and curious about what to do about Ben Scrivens being traded to Montreal. He was traded for Zach Cassian. I saw in a lot of leagues, like in Yahoo and ESPN, his percentage ownership skyrocketed. And you know what? Scrivens came in. He played a game. Didn't do too badly, though. He did lose against Florida. Three goals against. 27 saves for a 900 save percentage. And he hasn't played since. Montreal's only played one game since then against Boston. Austin and Mike Condon played that game and did very well. And the thing is, Condon actually has had two good starts in a row. So it's hard to expect that Scrivens is going to be able to steal that number one job, at least in the short term. And of course, there's the problem that Carey Price will come back eventually. So I guess like a or so, I guess you could get where I'm going here. I'm not expecting Ben Scrivens to make a huge impact. I think it's like a nice backup goalie for Montreal so that they could send Tokarski back to the minors and so he could play a lot. But Brian, do you think I'm missing anything? Is there any reason that people should be going out and grabbing Ben Scrivens? I don't think so. And I don't even know that it was like to get Tokarski more playing times so that he stays busy. I'm not sure that they think he's going to be a future goaltending prospect for them. I think it was more just about firming up their crease in the NHL and trying to find an option that doesn't totally hang them out to dry if Mike Condon isn't working out, and he wasn't for a long time. Of course, his star has been rejuvenated a little bit after that phenomenal Winter Classic performance. So I think he's still the de facto number one or 1A, and Scriven's there to sort of spell him and maybe plug the dam for a little bit if things are going south. My biggest concern at the time of the trade was that maybe this means Carey Price is out for longer than we imagined, and I know that's very, like, doomsday scenario, but it at least crossed my mind, so I thought I'd share it with you now. So not to really scare the Price owners, because there's not a whole lot they can do, but I would keep a close eye on watching to see what kind of developments happen over the next month or so with that injury, if we're getting news that he's progressing, or it's just total silence, because you might have to work out your goaltending situation for your playoff matchups 
in a different way than you had planned if you had drafted Price or were expecting him to come back very soon. Of course, this is a little alarmist. I repeat, a little alarmist. And we can still wait and see what happens for now, though. Condon is the guy in the Montreal net. Still worth owning, I think, as a number three guy, but certainly not like the number one or two guy that he was at the start of the year when Price was out and Montreal was firing on all cylinders. Well, okay, so first of all, for Price, his latest Roto World update is that he is on schedule. This was from December 30th, and it said that according to their general manager, Mark Bergevin, he was saying that Price is on schedule for his return from his lower body injury and that he's expected to still come back mid-January, which which would be fantastic. That's like in a couple of weeks. But like you say, who knows? But this was after the Scrivens trade that this news came out. So it will be interesting to see if he can stick with that timeline. One reason why I would be happier to have Mike Condon now than I would have been a couple of weeks ago is that Montreal got Brandon Gallagher back from his long injury. And you know what? Montreal's offense has really taken a dive since Gallagher went out. I think we really got to see how important he was to their offense. But now he's back. He came back actually surprisingly. People didn't think it would be so soon, but he came back for the Winter Classic, picked up right where he had left off with a goal and an assist. That gives him 21 points in 23 games on the year. They got that first line back together with Pacioretty and Placanitz. And I know a lot of people have been concerned about Placanitz and his cold stretch lately. I think that you definitely don't want to give up on him now that he's got his right wing back in Brendan Gallagher. So I think things are looking up for Montreal. They've got now an okay backup goalie and Brendan Gallagher is back. And I think he's an underrated guy in fantasy. And if for some reason he was dropped in your league, you know, if there wasn't an IR spot available, now is definitely the time to grab him, I would think. Yeah, that's a good point. If there's a reason to think that the Habs can turn their season around from the tailspin they were sort of going down into, Brendan Gallagher is a great reason, and he paid immediate dividends in his return, and I expect that to continue, and everybody else who held on to Plekinitz is going to see that benefit if he did get dropped in your league and is somehow a free agent. we said this a hundred times on the show before, he does not belong there. Go get him. Add him to your team right now. And if you recall, when Gallagher went down, we said that we expected an uptick in the points from Alex Galchenyuk because he was going to get a chance to play on the top line. Last game, he was back playing with the likes of Daniel Carr and Lars Eller. While, like I said, it was Placanics, Pacioretty, and Gallagher on the first line. Fleischman, DeHarnay, and Dale Weiss were on the third line, though Weiss is now injured. But either way, I also, as excited I am about Brendan Gallagher and about Thomas Placanitz moving forward, I am now concerned about Alex Galchenyuk and him sort of falling back into not being as productive as he was before. But the thing with Galchenyuk, Elon, is that he wasn't necessarily even playing with the top line while Gallagher was out. Like, if you look at the last 10 games, he was playing with Eller and Carr for most of that time. Yeah, it's a good point, and he has been on a little bit of a run lately. He had a five-game point streak, but before that, he had a three-game drought, no points in the Winter Classic. I guess it just seemed like Galchenyuk would have a better chance to produce with Gallagher out, like at least he'd have the opportunity every once in a while. I don't know. I don't see it happening, but maybe it's just my gut, and maybe I'll be wrong. You still think that Galchenyuk is worth holding on to as someone who could maybe push for like 60-point pace moving forward? Well, actually, I'm a very frustrated Galchenyuk owner. I've tried to dangle him a few times in the leagues in which I own him. I feel like he's good for, you know, 50, 55 points. Any more would be gravy, but I'm just not expecting it to happen. And I thought Gallagher out would be a really great opportunity for him to step up. I'm glad he did go on a little run, and I'm actually glad it didn't happen on the top line, so we know he can do something without having to be paired with the team's top players. But I do expect maybe some sort of trickle-down effect to hit him at least a little bit now that Gallagher's back. 
And also something interesting I read is that this might actually affect, and I'm saying this, Brendan Gallagher returning, this might actually affect Andre Markov's production because Montreal was experimenting with having four forwards on the top power play, putting Gallagher, Plakanitz, Galchenyuk, and Pacioretty with P.K. Subban. And if that happens and Markov is off the top power play, he already has been slowing down a lot after his amazing start. This would just put another nail in his coffin, only being on the second power play. Markov's season has definitely been a bit of an up-and-down one. He certainly could use the help from being an entrenched part of that power play. He has just two points in his last 10 games, and he had a really, really strong start to the season, really tailed off since then. I still think he can hit 40 points, no problem. He has 21 in 40 games so far, needs to go half a point per game rest of the season, and I think, I think he can handle that task. I don't know. I don't know if he's not on that top power play. I would be concerned, but... We'll see. I guess uh, you're more excited about Galchenyuk and Markov than I am. Maybe I'm just downer on the Montreal Canadiens. I don't know. But I did say that I was excited about my content now more than I was before. So it all evens out. Well, if Markov finishes with fewer than 40 points this year, it would be the first time since 2002 where he's finished a season at a point pace under 40. So that would be a big deal. That would be, I guess, the start of the decline, the official decline for Andre Markov, which you might expect at about 37 years old. I suppose that's fair. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely up there for a player in the NHL, though there have been other players who have succeeded at 37. Case in point, Mark Strait last year, he had 52 points in 81 games. And speaking of Mark Strait, he's back. He was injured for that long stretch. He had that surgery. What was it again? Like a pubic plate? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And it still sounds painful. Yeah. And so we actually, Brian, in our joint league, we grabbed him. Someone dropped him and we grabbed him and stashed him in our IR thinking we were geniuses. Wow, we just got a free Mark straight. Once he comes back, he's going to be one of our top fantasy defensemen. If we could get, you know, another 50 point season pace out of him, we're going to be golden. So far, he's come back and in two games, he's got no points. He's been playing only 17 and 16 minutes. And before he got injured, he was more at 22 minutes. And even worse than that, he hasn't even been on the top power play, which is bad news for him. Great news for Shane Gostisbehere, or Ghostbear, as we've just been calling, because I don't know how to pronounce his name. So if you are a Ghostbear owner, you're happy that he hasn't lost all of his value with Straight coming back. But Brian, I'm curious to talk about Straight first. Why are his minutes down? Is it just because they're easing him in after this painful sounding injury and can we expect him to get back to the top power play and getting the big minutes or is he all of a sudden a guy that people should be looking to drop because with his deployment right now I don't really see much value there yeah second power play unit minutes are really low lower than they've been for him in a long time both at even strength and on the power play and we've had our share of concerned strike owners voice this concern about him coming back and I remember even when he was out and Ghost Bear came up the question was well will Ghost Bear even stick is he going to be able to stick around in the lineup I hope they don't send him back down and now they can't send him back down so the question for the Flyers is if they have him up with the big team is there a point to move him down to the second unit if he's the guy that they know they want to be their future, that they want to develop as their next Strite-type blue liner? And that is definitely the concern for Mark Strite owners, except I think it's too early to get really worried about it. I think you need to give Strite about 8-10 to 10 games. He's an older guy. He's coming back from an injury that, again, sounds incredibly painful. I have no idea what it means for mobility or anything of the sort, but I imagine it's hard for him to shake off that rust mid-season and get 
back into the swing of things. So I think the Flyers still have faith in him to be their guy. I mean, you don't just turn away from a guy who scored you 52 points last season, a ton of those coming on the power play. Even though Ghost Bear has filled in admirably on that top unit, I still think for now, Strite is the guy who's going to get the longer leash there once he sort of works his way into that role. I suppose Ghost Bear can keep producing there and hold Strite off for as long as possible, but I think eventually they're going to want to get Strite up there. Is it possible that they could go with both of them on the top power play? They've rolled with a four forward power play for so long now. That would be a really big change in how they ran their team. And that power play has actually been, you know, one of the few positive things about that team in the last two to three years. So I don't know that they'd really want to mess with that. But as I listen to myself, like talk about straight, it seems like I'm really trying hard to convince myself that he's going to get into that top spot again, even though like logically it might not make a ton of sense. Although I do still think if he can get back into game shape in the way he was at the start of the year, I think he's still the better option than Ghost Bear to have in that spot. It's just a matter of if they're looking short-term at winning games and giving the guy a spot back and not letting him lose it due to injury, or if they're ready to look really long-term now and say, well, Mark Stride, it's time for you to take a bit of a back seat. We want to let this young guy roll with the position as long as he can handle it. Well, if that is going to be their view, then could that mean we should expect that Mark Stride might get traded at the trade deadline to a team competing? Because Philadelphia is not even a team that anyone's expecting to make the playoffs or make any noise this year. And Mark Stride, you know, like we said, he's 38 years old. Maybe even if he doesn't get on that top power play, he might have value to hold on to just because he might go and become the top defenseman on someone else's power play. I was actually talking to one of our patrons who's a Habs fan recently, and he was actually stating a bit of a pipe dream of having Stride come back to Montreal. I remember back when he was a Hab and the Habs had to decide between Strite and Hainsey going forward and neither of them were known to be an offensive powerhouse but both were expected to be able to handle power play QB duties. In the end we know which one was the true one to be able to do that and they actually ended up keeping Hainsey for a little while who performed okay defensively. But anyway, Habs fans might already be pining back for Strite and probably enjoy the outlook that you have that the Flyers might be able to get some trade value back for him. Yeah, I guess we'll see. It's all speculation right now. It will be exciting, you know, as the fantasy season goes, the next big, I guess, deadline for us, or the next big, like, moment in the fantasy season will be that trade deadline, which is still, I guess, a month or two away, but something to look forward to. Speak for yourself, Elon. I'm looking forward to the All-Star game with Captain John Scott. Ugh, come on. Okay. Really quickly, also about Philadelphia, Michael Del Zotto came back. He was injured for a couple of games. And you know what? Surprisingly, he's the defenseman who has the most ice time on the Flyers, like, even with Mark Strait back, I was thinking that then Michael Del Zotto's role will completely fall and he would become not rosterable at all. He'd go back to how he was before. But no, he's, like, the main guy in terms of minutes. You know, no points yesterday against LA, but he had two shots on goal, five hits, two blocks. So he gives you peripherals. And as long as Strait is getting those low minutes, that means Del Zotto is still going to be giving you those decent minutes and some of those peripherals. And who knows if he'll be able to pop in a point every now and then. So there were a couple of outries. Let's move on to talk about some injuries This is already old news also, just like that Scrivens trade. But talk about goalies, let's talk about Ryan Miller, who has been injured now for the Canucks' last four games. And this has given Jacob Markstrom a really nice opportunity to come in, and he has taken advantage of it. Since Miller went down, he's played in four games. Three of them, he's gotten the win. Actually, three of them have been really good starts. One of them, not so good against LA. That was a really bad game for the Canucks overall. They got shut out 5-0. But aside from that, Markstrom's been doing fantastically in Miller's absence. And now Ryan Miller might be coming back soon. But you know what? 
Markstrom has better numbers than Miller on the year. And I know we've talked about this already on the podcast before, saying how we think that Markstrom should be given more of a role, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Or at least that's what it looked like maybe a month ago. Brian, do you think things have changed now? And when Ryan Miller comes back, they might give Markstrom some more games? Well, if the question is, should they? Yes, they should give Markstrom more games. You pick any goaltending metric and Markstrom is better than Miller has been this season. And now that Markstrom has started six of his team's last seven games, seeing a lot of regular time, he's actually posted 9.35 save percentage or higher in all but one of those six games that he's recently started. He should be the goalie of the future in Vancouver, but I don't think, I'm not convinced he's going to get to be the goalie of the near future. As we've mentioned before on the show, I think the Canucks are going to wait till Ryan Miller's final contract year, which is next season, to start sunsetting him out of their crease. And it's actually a weird situation. You'd think they'd want to go with their best goalie right now because technically they are in a playoff spot right now in that embarrassingly weak Pacific division along with the Coyotes who are still hanging in there. But I actually don't know whether being in a playoff spot makes the Canucks management think that they should play Markstrom or they should play Miller. I get the feeling that they still think Ryan Miller gives them their best chance to win night in, night out. I don't think they're right about that. And I think that they might start cluing in now that Miller comes back and they see that he won't be able to perform quite as well as Markstrom did in this recent run. So maybe instead of Miller starting three out of every four games the rest of the way, he's only going to start, say, two out of every three games would be my optimistic look on it. But I think that Miller will ultimately get a pretty long leash on that number one or that number one A spot once he comes back. All right, so you're saying people shouldn't jump on Jacob Markstrom if he's a free agent in your league. But if you want to do some speculative adding, we've already said it before, and I guess we weren't right, but now he's actually shown something. Who knows if it'll be different? I think that Jacob Markstrom is a nice goalie to have when he does play. Like, he doesn't blow up your stats too often, or at least it hasn't seemed like that, except for obviously that one game against LA. I don't know, Elon. Like, he has 10 starts to date this year. Six of them have been quality starts, but the other four that haven't been have actually been really bad starts, like 889 or lower. There hasn't been a lot of middle ground. It's either been a very good start or a very bad start for him. So that's a bit of a concern if you're trying to start him night in, night out. Yeah, I guess I've just been looking short term. Like, aside from that game against LA, you basically have to go to early December before you see a bad start. So it's been over a month of him playing really well. Maybe it's just that he's the kind of goalie that needs to get into a groove. I don't know, I'm excited about him because Ryan Miller hasn't been that great anyways. So it would be nice for him to get an opportunity. And it's always exciting when there's a free agent goalie in fantasy that might be able to give you value because they're so hard to find. Though there definitely have been some shining stars this year. And you know what, Brian? Okay, this wasn't even on the list, but really quickly, one guy who was a free agent in a lot of leagues and definitely isn't anymore john gibson on anaheim he played five games in a row for the ducks recently before they finally gave the net back to anderson for a game and anderson lost that game and i'm sure gibson is going to be playing today against winnipeg people are starting to ask us is gibson the number one goalie now on anaheim like should people who have anderson be thinking of dropping him at this point or do we still think it's going to be 50 50 and they're riding the hot hand but you know one bad start from gibson and all of a sudden it could go back to anderson Oh man, I am praying that this Anaheim goalie situation is finally coming to some kind of a resolution. And I feel like the seesaw is tipping quite a bit in Gibson's favor right now. I don't think it's ever been this much in his favor, at least for the last long while. Now that he's getting a shot to keep going and keep going, and with Anderson having spent so much time out with that 
quote unquote flu, which I actually believe, but some other people thought that there was something else happening. I don't see why the Ducks would turn to Anderson unless they absolutely feel like they have to. And they might get that way. Like if Gibson falters right now, they're out of a playoff spot. But again, they're trying to catch like the Canucks and the Coyotes. And I think they can do it. They're close enough that they should be able to sneak in there because of the weakness of their own division. And because of that, they're probably going to want to play the goalie that gives them the best chance at winning every night. Except Anderson has rarely been that goalie, aside from like that terrible losing streak that they had to start the season where he was lights out. Ever since then, he hasn't really been able to keep up his part of the bargain. Not to say Gibson has been totally lights out himself, but he's been fairly steady and I think steady enough to keep Anderson at bay. And of course, the other thing Gibson has going for him is that he's the goalie of the two that the organization has invested their developmental resources in and a draft pick in. So I think he's the one that they want to succeed. So I think that maybe that gives him a bit of a longer leash than Anderson would get. Right, so you basically are saying that Anderson owners should be not expecting much out of him. Maybe he'll be not like a complete backup. Maybe he'll get more starts than a Brian Elliott has been getting, but like not a whole lot more. Yeah, that's what I've actually been saying. Like, Gibson is in a position to do what Jake Allen did to Brian Elliott earlier this season. And if he can pull it off, then Anderson is sort of like Brian Elliott's status. Except I think the door remains a little more open for Anderson to reclaim some of his fantasy value later in the year. So what I've been suggesting to people to do is I think you can drop Anderson now. I don't think anybody else in your league is going to want him, but you're going to want to stay right on top of things and watch every game that Gibson plays and read every Anaheim news report to see if the scales might be tipping once again away from Gibson and towards Anderson. Well, Gibson currently, he's riding two shutouts in a row, so we'll see if he can keep up that shutout streak today against Winnipeg. At this point, it's hard to imagine Anderson taking this job back, but I guess crazier things have happened. And since we're on Anaheim and we're talking about injuries, or at least we were at some point, a big injury on the blue line for the Ducks. Cam Fowler is out for apparently three to five weeks, and Fowler's a guy who I actually was kind of excited about. I was thinking of talking about him on this podcast as someone you might want to pick up, because Anaheim had a really brutal schedule for a couple of weeks. I don't know if you recall, they played only one game in one week, then two games the next week, and so a lot of their players just didn't seem worth rostering, and I actually dropped Cam Fowler in one of my leagues, and then picked him up once I saw that their schedule was going to pick up, and he was, like, doing okay. Like, overall, he hasn't been doing that great. He had a long stretch of no points, but... I still saw that he was getting good minutes and playing on the top power play. And he actually had two games in a row with assists before he went down with this injury. So that is a bummer. If you could grab Cam Fowler and stash him in your IR, I would suggest doing that. You know, nothing to lose. But in the meantime, this opens up a door for Hampus Lindholm, someone who a lot of people thought of as a much better prospect for the Ducks than Cam Fowler and maybe even better than Sammy Vatanen. But he really hasn't been having that great of a year. But his minutes have shot up significantly in Fowler's absence. And I guess significantly is a strong word, but by a couple of minutes, he only has one assist to show for it so far, but he's someone I'd be interested in, especially if he takes Fowler's role on that top power play. Yeah, Hampus is up on that first power play unit right now, and he's been able to put up just one point in the last three games, which is kind of representative of the season he's had so far. Not a very productive year for Hampus Lindholm, not the year we were hoping him to have. We thought he and Vatanen would be trading points a lot of the time through the year, like they were at times last year, except Vatanen has kind of been able to run away with his share of the points while Lindholm has been left behind. Lindholm is also taking on increased five-on-five responsibilities with Fowler out, though, which could help boost his value a little bit as well. And also worth mentioning is Shea Theodore, 
part of Jonathan Duran's 2013 draft class. He's been called up and is playing on the third pairing and second power play unit. He's actually seeing roughly the same amount of minutes as Lindholm, but again, on the second unit rather than the first. Theodore has not been able to do much at all in his three games, but it's worth noting that he has done quite well in the AHL in terms of scoring from the blue line. He has 27 points in 36 games as a pro hockey player. Yeah, Brian, I think they're still trying to figure it out because I'm looking at their last game, and it was Theodore with Sammy Vatanen, Ricard Raquel, Ryan Getzlaff, and Corey Perry on the top power play. Then Bieksa and Lindholm have been the defensemen on that second unit with Kessler and Chris Stewart and Mike Santarelli. Not a very exciting-looking power play unit, actually. But overall, Shea Theodore hasn't been getting big minutes while Lindholm has, and I'm sure it'll just be whoever can help them score goals. Right now, Anaheim just can't score goals at all, so it's not really worth having any of these players. But I do think that Lindholm might be a sleeper guy over the next three or four weeks while Fowler is out to maybe have increased production. Who knows? Fowler wasn't exactly setting the world on fire himself, but I don't know. We still cling to this hope that Anaheim's going to be a team that can score goals like they did last year. We're halfway through the season, though, so at some point we're going to have to maybe accept this new reality of them being a very low-scoring team. Another big injury we'd be remiss if we didn't cover is David Krejci. And this is this is a harsh one because, you know, we were saying at the beginning of the year, we thought he would be a great guy to draft that you'd be able to get late since he had that disappointing year last year where he was injured. And we thought he's healthy now. He's going to go back to putting up those great points that you could expect. And, you know, we were right in that he has been having an amazing year. He has 11 goals and 22 assists for 33 points in 35 games. Even after that hot start when people were thinking they should sell high on him, you know, like he hasn't slowed down. He's been great. But the big concern with him was that he could maybe get injured. And now it has happened. He's being described as week to week with this upper body injury. And he's been spotted sporting a sling on his right arm, according to Roto World. So I guess in the short term here, the big winner has been Ryan Spooner, who's now in the top six. Before, we already talked about Spooner as someone you should pick up because he was on the top power play, but still only centering the third line on Boston. Now he gets to go into the top six, and he's really been rolling. So I think we'd still recommend picking up Spooner if you can. It might be too late. Brian, what do you think about Spooner, and is there anyone else affected by this Krejci injury that's worth noting? Well, the instant impact of Krejci being out was that Spooner instantly set two consecutive season highs for share of total even strength minutes and power play minutes. He saw 17 minutes the first game Krejci was out and then over 20 minutes in the second game. And he's been making the most of them too. He has three assists, one on the power play and five shots on goal in his most recent game. And that's the one where he played north of 20 minutes. But that's not to say he was a slouch before this either. It's not that he needs Krejci out of the lineup to produce. He has three goals and 10 assists for 13 points in his last 15 games played. And Elon, you sort of alluded to that. He's already been on a run. I don't know if he's still available in your league, but if he is, you definitely should have considered him by now. Digging a little deeper into what he's done so far this year, I found something that's kind of incredible. If you look at his IPP, it's at nearly 87% this year. Last year is at 92%. So that means that if a goal is scored while Spooner's on the ice, there's an insane likelihood that he is going to have been a part of creating that goal. For context, the average forward has an IPP more around 70%, so they are involved in 20% fewer goals than Spooner is that are scored while they're on the ice. So looking at Spooner's nearly 9 in 10 likelihood of getting a point on a goal scored that he's on the ice for, my next inclination is to look at how many secondary assists he's pulling. Or in other words, how many of those goals, like he's just touched 
maybe 15 seconds before it scored. He's getting in on them just by virtue of maybe being in the right place at the right time. But over this season and last 12 of his 17 assists have been primary assists, which is really fantastic. Now, this doesn't mean that he can necessarily keep creating goals the way he has been, but it's at least promising in the face of like an IPP bubble that we expect to burst at some point. Spooner is a player we got really excited about last year and about whom we remained excited about going into this year, but there is still a bit of conflict because his point pace, even with all the success, still sits at just about 55 points right now, and that's not terribly impressive Even less impressive is the fact that he sits at the bottom of the Bruins' top nine in measures of shots and shot attempts and shot attempts against and scoring chances. But I suppose if we're looking at it just from a fantasy perspective, Spooner fits the bill of a productive top six forward with or without Krejci in the lineup, and you shouldn't at all be shy to pluck him off your wire if he happens to still be available. As far as other players affected, I always sort of link Krejci and Pasternak together. Of course, Pasternak has been out for a while, but he is playing on the World Juniors, and it's worth noting that he has four points in four games played, which seems pretty good, except when you look at the leader, has 15 points in five games played. So an extra 11 points in one game. Not to say Pasternak's play has been poor at all in the World Juniors. Maybe he just has not had the same incredible opportunities that a player on a more skilled team like Team Finland would have been able to manage. Yeah, we're still waiting for Pasternak to get back into the NHL. It's probably going to happen soon. And yeah, he's definitely got more of an opportunity to get back into the top six with an injury, though I'm just hoping Krejci comes back soon because he was having such a great year. Get well soon, David Krejci. Another player I was a little concerned about with Krejci being injured is Louis Erickson because he's been playing with him all year and having really like a resurgence, like showing why he was traded for Tyler Sagan, not saying that was a good trade, but at least showing why he was in that conversation. And yeah, he has 33 points in 37 games. So far, he's been fine with Krejci out. And I guess, you know, it can't be too bad because he's been playing now with Petris Bergeron. So Louis Erickson should probably be fine. I was concerned at first, but I think he'll be okay. He's actually got... Five points in his last four games. All assists, so he's been helping out his line mates, but also taking a lot of shots, so I expect the goals to come as well. Next on the injury docket, another center, Jeff Carter, has been injured. He's just day-to-day, which is always very frustrating because you don't know when he's going to come back. You can't put him in your IR unless you have an IR spot in your league. So if you're a Jeff Carter owner, you've really been struggling with this, and hopefully he'll come back soon. But in his absence, what's been really interesting is Tyler Toffoli, who was playing with Jeff Carter for, like, all this year, and I think most of last year, he got bumped to the top line, and he has just been on fire in that 5 nothing shellacking I was telling you about against Vancouver. He had a hat-trick in that game with seven shots on goal. He followed that up with a goal against Edmonton, an assist against Calgary. Nothing yesterday against Philadelphia, so obviously he's drop-worthy now. But of course, I'm kidding. Tyler Toffoli has been fantastic. He has 30 points in 38 games on the year, and a lot of those points have come since Jeff Carter has been injured. So, Brian, I guess the two questions are, first of all, is Tyler Toffoli for real? Which is kind of a dumb question, because I think we've already answered that. We've already said he's really good and worth owning and worth, you know, putting a lot of faith in. But I'm now curious to know, what do you think is going to happen when Jeff Carter comes back? Does Tyler Toffoli go back to playing with Carter? Does he stay on the top line? How do you think things will shake out in L.A.? Well, first, Elon, I want to talk about if Tyler Toffoli is for real. It's a question we've gotten a few times over the course of this season. And I could tell you that with Carter out of the lineup, Toffoli went on a three-game point streak. He had four goals and assists, which is pretty great in its own right. But then I could also add on that even with Carter in the lineup, Toffoli had five points in his previous four games with three goals and two assists in that stretch. So I'd actually like to tell you that Toffoli has been doing well before Carter was out of the lineup. 
and after that, and he's also doing wonders for his line mates. Let's look at Anze Kopitar, who's now in the midst of his longest point streak this season. Now that he has Toffoli on his wing, he has points in five straight games with a goal and a very impressive eight assists, which obviously correlate with the goals that Toffoli is bringing to that line. But getting back to Toffoli, we had an interesting conversation on Facebook on our patrons-only group with Cameron about Toffoli's trade value. Cameron was looking at trading Latang or Bufflin away for Toffoli in a keeper league, hoping that Toffoli could maybe be like a 60-70 point guy. And while looking into whether that could possibly happen, I came across an interesting tidbit about how Toffoli's point pace stacks up with previous kings in previous seasons. If you look at his 30 points to date right now, that puts him on pace for 64 points at the end of the year. But here's the thing. In the last five years, which includes all of Daryl Sutter's tenure as coach, plus the year before that, only two kings have managed to poke their heads above that 60-point mark. Kopitar has done it four times. Carter has done it just once. And then if we look at his goals, scoring the 38 goals that Toffoli is on pace for right now would be a really rare feat. Even compared to that point-scoring thing, 38 goals would be nine more than the highest goal total achieved by any LA player in the last five years. So can Toffoli keep pushing this far against the grain of his silver and black jersey? A couple markers say yes, and a couple others say maybe. So let's take a look at the first thing that probably jumps out at anyone who's looking at Toffoli on Dobbers player profile or anywhere where it shows a shooting percentage. He has a 17.6 shooting conversion rate right now. That means nearly one in five shots he takes gets past the goalie. And that's a pretty high percentage. Like there are some high percentage shooters who can sustain something close to that, but it's not common in the NHL. It's not something that Toffoli has managed to do before. And where he stands now in his overall shooting percentage, it's somewhat inflated by his insane success on the power play so far. So if you take that away, his shooting percentage at just even strength falls to about 13%, which is still high, but not abominably so. He sits about 22nd in the league amongst regular playing forwards with the likes of Jeff Skinner, Dylan Larkin, Kyle Turris, Boone Jenner, Evgeny Melkin, and John Tavares. So each of those guys you may or may not believe to be able to keep shooting at that rate. But turning back to that power play success I was mentioning... Toffoli has scored on nearly 38% of the shots he's taken with the man advantage. He's got six goals there so far this season. Some measure of that is going to have to continue for him to maintain his current point pace. He's going to need to keep producing on the power play. That shooting success will not continue, but it has already gotten him past the five power play points he scored all of last season. But I'm not that concerned. Like, even if you cut his power play shooting percentage in half, I think he can still get the points that he needs to crack 60 points. He's also seeing a ton more ice time on the power play this year. He's already accrued 70% of the total power play minutes that he saw all of last season, and he's putting a ton more shots and shot attempts on net in the time that he is getting on the top unit. So yeah, okay, to Foley's numbers, some of them look a touch inflated, but I think he's going to be able to get through and make up for all the inflated numbers that are going to come down over the course of the rest of the season. If you look for other markers of unsustainable production, like his IPP and his on-ice shooting percentage, neither are really far out of whack with where we'd expect them to be. So all of this to say, with or without Carter, I really like what Toffoli's done this year. I know this wasn't your question, Elon, but I do think he could be the third king in the last five years to crack 60 points. 
Okay, yeah, very interesting. A nice deep dive. The other guy on that top line, by the way, with Carter out is Milan Lucic, who hasn't actually been getting many points lately, which is surprising considering all the goals that LA has been scoring. It will be interesting to see what happens with the Lions when Jeff Carter comes back. I will be curious to see if Toffoli goes back to play with Carter and someone like Tanner Pearson or Gaborik, or Gaborik goes back to the top line. We'll have to see what happens. Hopefully Jeff Carter comes back soon, just like David Krejci. Okay, and I guess we've gotten to the point in the podcast where we still have so much to do, but we look at the time and we see that, I don't know how we're going to fit everything in, but we're going to try, Brian. Before we get to all of the remaining players we wanted to talk about, let me take a second to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson for an amazing 2015. Thank you so much for your support over the last year. The patron program is about a year old right now. You know, Brian thanked some of the early patrons a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, it's been amazing. We're having so much fun on the Facebook group. We took a week off of the podcast last week, but we definitely didn't take a week off of the Facebook group, and it was a lot of fun chatting with all the patrons about all of the moves they're thinking of making. You know, now's the time where things are going to get serious. People are going to start thinking about trades they could make before their league's trade deadlines. Then, of course, leading into the playoffs. I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about playoff schedules, all these goalie situations. So if you think that it would help you to get some extra insight from a bunch of very knowledgeable fantasy hockey players... It might be the time to become a patron of Keeping Carlson. Not only do you support the show that you're listening to right now, and I'm sure that would make you feel fantastic, but you can also get the benefits of joining the patron-only Facebook group. You'll also be able to come to our patron casts, which we do once a month. We'll have one coming up in January, which is always a lot of fun. That's where you can come on live with Brian and I and ask questions and chat with the patrons. It's always a really fun time. So if this sounds interesting to you, you can see more details about our patron program at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Yeah, we love having your voice added to the Facebook group. And we also like to know that you support the show, that you support and believe in what we're doing. For $5 a month, you get access to that patron cast, you get access to the Facebook group, and you get the warm, fuzzy feeling anytime you listen to the show, knowing that you were a part of making it happen. You also get a pretty sweet deal on a pretty sweet t-shirt, Keeping Carlson dot com slash shirt it's available for you to order for $18 again for patrons that is at cost we will not see a penny of that so head on over to keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information yeah and just to be clear keepingcarlson.com slash shirt that's the full price shirt you'll have access to a special link to the patron shirt price if you become a patron hope that's not confusing okay brian just so many players left i guess let's just sort of do quick takes on these guys because we can't go on forever but i do want to cover a bunch of these guys so how about I'll name some guys. You'll name some guys. We'll see how it goes. There's still a couple of injuries I wanted to cover. There was Chris Letang, who got injured again. Like, he came back. I feel like in the last couple of weeks, he's been injured and has come back, like, three times. Hard to keep track, but he's back right now, and he's been doing great, as you expect him to do when he's in the lineup. But now that Sidney Crosby is starting to produce, even Patrick Hornquist is producing. If he was dropped, by the way, I definitely would say that it's time to grab Patrick Hornquist because he's back in the top six, back on the top power play, taking lots of shots. And with all of that firepower in Pittsburgh, you'd expect their top defenseman to get in on it and Latang has six points in his last two games I'm not misspeaking here he's been on fire and if you like you know are keeping him in your IR keeping him stashed because you don't know who to drop I, I feel like you can't do that you, like, you need to have Latang in your lineup when he's playing but of course you never know when he's going to get injured next it's been a rough stretch for him in terms of being able to stay healthy yeah Chris Latang nothing in his first game back six points in the two games since That's amazing. And the Penguins seem to finally, maybe, I don't want to jinx it, but maybe they're clicking. Patrick Hornqvist has six points in his last six games. How exciting for anybody who has been stuck hanging on to him 
all season long. In fact, if you look at his last 10 games, he's had four or more shots on goal in nine of them. So we know that things are happening, although they've been happening a lot this season without success. His shooting percentage is now up to 6.8%. Hopefully he can bump it up another 3 or 4% by the time the season is over. And I think Latang being in the lineup consistently is going to help that. I also think adding daily, regardless of whether Latang is in the lineup or not, is going to help stabilize Pittsburgh on the back end. If you're looking to daily for production, by the way, don't. Not a lot is going on there. Very few shots, very few points. And with Latang back, he's not going to have much of a role in the team's offense. Another defenseman worth talking about, well, I guess a couple, John Carlson on Washington is injured, which is actually a rare thing. He was on an Ironman run for quite a while. He had been playing full seasons for the last few years, but he's injured, hopefully not for too long. We don't really know how long it'll be. He's currently out status on Yahoo, which I don't even know what that means because on ESPN, when a player has this O beside their name, it means you could put them in your IR, but apparently not in Yahoo so I don't even know what the point is of having that designation but in his absence John Carlson by the way he's been having a great year not much we can say about him it's a bummer if you have him and he's injured if you can pick up Matt Niskanen to replace him you know that's what Washington has done well they already had him but now they've brought Niskanen onto that top power play and he has three points in his last three games in Carlson's absence two of them on the power play so you don't need to do too much sleuthing to figure out what's going on here Niskanen has had a disappointing season overall only 16 points in 38 games but as long as Carlson is out Niskanen is definitely a guy you want to have on your team because he's on this top power play with Ovechkin and Oshie and Backstrom and Marcus Johansson who I feel like has been under the radar this year but he's been on that top power play and on the top line in Washington and he's got 24 points in 37 games on the year but eight points in his last seven games so Marcus Johansson has really heated up lately and a lot of those points are on the power play so if your league counts power play points which many do that gives him even more value so I definitely think now's the time to take Marcus Johansson for a spin as with Niskanen though Niskanen is more short-term because once John Carlson comes back Niskanen goes back to the second unit which is not worth having probably yeah Niskanen with Carlson in the lineup he still gets the okay power play point, but he'd been pointless for 11 straight games before seeing this opportunity that presented itself with Carlson's injury. And in those four games with Carlson out, Elon, you already said he has three assists, two power play points, nine shots, and a few blocks. And that's helped him up to about a 35-point pace on the season, which is about the best we could hope for from him. Generally, I would have considered him at the start of the year to be a 30-point player who's going to help you get a few peripherals along the way. It's good for the Caps to know that they have someone to step in if the worst happens to Carlson. But again, once Carlson comes back, that value for Niskanen goes away and he might be good to have as like your fourth or fifth defenseman. But again, with Carlson out, good guy to have. No reason he should be on anybody's waiver wire with the future for Carlson being murky as it is. By the way, Brian, I misspoke. Marcus Johansson hasn't been on the first line with Ovechkin. The first line has been Ovechkin, Backstrom, and Oshie. And Johansson has been entrenched in the second line with Evgeny Kuznetsov, who's been having that great year, and Justin Williams. Though I am seeing that in Washington's most recent game, Johansson got dumped to the third line. He was playing with Tom Wilson and Jason Chimera, and it was Andre Burakovsky playing with Kuznetsov and Justin Williams. So I'm not sure if you can make any decisions based on just this last game, but maybe something worth watching if you're in the market for one of these left wingers on the Capitals. Of course, Johansson still on that top power play, I think, holds more value overall. 
Next, let's talk about a couple of goalie injuries. This one you wouldn't think would be that big a deal. Red Obera, the backup on Colorado, is on the IR right now, but this has led to Calvin Pickard being called up. I actually was on vacation in San Francisco and I went to a San Jose Sharks game against Colorado and I got to see Calvin Pickard play his first game since being called up from the Red Obera injury and he had a great game. He led in three goals but was on 38 shots. Colorado got the win. Then yesterday against Calgary, Varlamov got pulled after letting in four goals and Pickard came in and got a shutout for the rest of the game. 15 saves. So I would expect Pickard to get some more time before Barra comes back and it'll be interesting to see if Pickard will be able to stay on the team. Probably not. Probably he'll go back to the minors. But in the short term, if you need a goalie start, I think Pickard is a really solid choice. Overall in the season, he hasn't done that well. But again, you know, it's been only like four games total. In these last two games, he's done really well. Yeah, Pickard showed that he could get the job done last season when he came in 16 appearances and 932 save percentage, which is fantastic. Hasn't been able to exactly replicate that this year that would be a very tall order he has 910 so far in four appearances this year and a 917 and 21 ahl appearances this year so not a bad guy maybe to keep your eye on long term but for now i think Berra will be the backup when he's healthy yeah just one of those goalies it's a good spot start when you see that he's going to play varlamov is also the guy varlamov had that bad game against calgary but overall he's been really good lately I guess another more significant goalie injury to mention is Sergei Bobrovsky. He was all set to come back, and now he's back on the IR. He re-aggravated that groin injury. We don't know when he's going to come back. This is bad news for Bobrovsky owners who were probably very excited to finally be able to activate him. Then, yesterday against Washington, Curtis McElhenney playing in Bobrovsky's stead. He got injured, and so Anton Forsberg ended up coming in and getting the win in the shootout, which is something pretty rare to come in so late and then get a win like that. But yeah, Forsberg now on the year. He's played in this one game he's had six shots against he stopped them all and he's got a win so i would imagine that anton forsberg will get the next game i guess it'll be him and yudis corpusalo manning the net with McElhenney and bobrovsky injured brian any take on who's going to get more starts between forsberg and corpusalo and if either of them are worth grabbing in the short term if you're desperate for starts go ahead but i really don't know what you can expect from either one you've got corpusalo who was playing well in the AHL, and we talked about that when he got called up the first time. He did 9.27 in just 12 appearances so far, but then he came up to the NHL, was only able to manage an 8.86 so far in the five appearances he's made. Meanwhile, you have Forsberg, who was very good in the AHL last year, 9.27 save percentage in 30 appearances, but this year he has just a 900 save percentage in 21 appearances in the AHL, but he got called up to the NHL, and he has a perfect 100% save percentage so far. 1-0, maybe go for him. I don't know. I feel like could go back and forth and it could be bad for either goalie to be in net if they are on your fantasy team. They probably have a decent chance at blowing up your goals against and save percentage each night that they're in. Okay, and how about enough of these injuries? Let's talk about some outjuries. The other side of the coin, Logan Couture has finally come back for the Sharks after, you know, that short coming back and then getting injured again. He's been back for two games now, had two assists in his first game against Philadelphia, nothing against Winnipeg, but he's taken seven shots on goal overall. He's definitely, you know, entrenched in the top six in San Jose. Obviously, if you have Couture, you want to activate him. And just to see how that affects the rest of the lineup, it's currently been Couture with Marlowe and Joel Ward on the second line. And Melker Carlson has had the privilege of playing with Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton on that top line. So that's a great position for Carlson. We'll see how long he can hold it. I actually saw Michael Carlson score a goal in that game I was telling you about against Colorado. I was probably the most exciting Carlson fan in the room. Well, I guess the Sharks, you know. The Sharks fans like Carlson because he's on the Sharks. I like him for other reasons. And since I'm on the Sharks and I guess on a bit of a run here, I might as well keep going and mention Joe Thornton has been fantastic lately. And we talked about him a few weeks ago as a guy who was really slumping and letting his owners down. And Brian, you know, you deserve a lot of credit. You said, don't worry about it. Joe Thornton will be fine. And he 
definitely has been. He's got points in his last eight games. He's got an eight-game point streak going in which he's picked up 11 points. He's even taking a lot of shots on goal, which isn't normally his thing. He had six shots against Winnipeg yesterday. So good job to everyone who was able to hold on to Joe Thornton and weather that storm while he was in his slump. He's now up to 27 points in 37 games. I have a feeling he'll end up with at least, you know, 60 points by the end of the year, probably even a bit more. What a relief to see Logan Couture back in the lineup and stay there. Well, actually, he stayed there for two games last time, so I suppose let's get that third game in and hopefully we can relax and take it easy. This time around, though, he has seven shots in those two games played before he had just one shot in each of the two games. So maybe that's a positive sign. I'm hoping that all systems are go for Couture going forward. Also, while we're on the Sharks, it's worth mentioning Joel Ward has slowed down a little bit lately, just three points in his last eight games. Not saying you need to drop him now, just maybe a future snoozer candidate. Although I think we did that to him once already this year and paid the price for it. Speaking of snoozers that we've paid the price for, Nazem Kadri. We declared him a snoozer just a little while ago. Elon, you and I both owned him in the joint league. I owned him in the cup full and like his shot count was slowing down and I thought well why do I have this guy on my team anymore and just nothing is happening and I had to make a move to free up a spot for someone to come off of IR so I dropped him and he went on a tear of course with five consecutive games with a point scored. He has points in seven of his last eight games, two goals and seven assists for nine points in that stretch, and the shots have come back. He has 23 shots in that eight-game stretch, which isn't actually the insane rate that he had going at the start of the year, but three shots a game is definitely worth your while. So Kadri, if anyone in your league is sleeping on this former snoozer, go get him right now and see how long he can keep this up. This seems like such a long time coming. I'm really happy for him. I just feel like I deserve those points to be for my own team, not my opponents. Yeah, things really changed. I guess we really woke up. Nazem Kadri, too bad it wasn't for your team or my team. I actually dropped him as well. It's kind of embarrassing. But you know, another thing is his minutes are back up. Like he was getting low minutes. I think at the point where I was wanting to drop him, he was, you know, around 17 minutes a game. Now he's up to 21, 20 minutes. He's still off the top power play, which is one of the reasons I wasn't so into him. But I guess when you look at their power plays, maybe you can make an argument for them both being top units. Like they both get around the same amount of time. You've got Boys, Bozak, Parento, and James Van Riemsdyk on one unit, and then Komarov, Holland, Kadri, and Lupul on the other. So it's not as if like there's an obvious clear number one. And especially with Kadri being how he is, he really boosts up that second unit. So I guess we kind of blew it there. And hopefully we didn't convince too many of you to drop Nazem Kadri. Tweet at us if you did drop Nazem Kadri. And we'll give you a very sincere apology. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully we've given you some advice on this episode that'll make up for it. Hey, here's one for you. Another outjury, Benoit Pouliot. Did you guys even know that he was injured? Like, I feel like he totally fell off our radar. Like, there was a point in the year where the Oilers had a second line of Connor McDavid, Nail Yakupov, and Benoit Pouliot, and they were all doing fantastically, obviously buoyed by McDavid especially. Then a short time later, all three of them were injured, and two of them still are injured, though maybe coming back soon. McDavid and Yakupov, definitely guys worth watching to see where they'll land in the lineup. But in the meantime, Pouliot has come back, and he's got five points in his last four games. He's on a really nice second line, along with Jordan Eberle and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Those are great line mates. You know, the top six on Edmonton, it's surprising they haven't been scoring so, so much lately, and you'd think they would. You know, Hall, Dreisaitl, and Purcell, and then Pouliot, Eberle, and Nugent Hopkins. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens when McDavid comes back and Yakupov. I don't expect Yakupov to get back in the top six, but you never know because he was so successful with McDavid and Pouliot. But for the short term, anyways, before all of the lineup gets shaken up again, Pouliot 
Marriott's definitely worth a look, especially with those great line mates. Yeah, for sure. And with McDavid apparently back starting to practice again, you're really going to want to keep an eye on how things shift around. I agree, Elon. I don't think Yakupov necessarily finds his way back into the top six. I think Teddy Purcell might be the odd man out, but we'll have to see how things shake out. In the meantime, by the way, it's worth noting Jordan Eberle, who a lot of people drafted, put straight on IR, knowing that it'd be a while till he came back. And he started off real slow. He's coming on lately. He has five points in his last four games, two of those goals, three of those assists, one point coming on the power play, and eight shots on goal in that spin. It would be great if he can keep producing semi-consistently for the rest of the season for everybody who waited for him. Just 16 points in 27 games played so far. I feel like he can put together a better points pace for the rest of the season than he has so far. And one last outjury I wanted to bring up, Kyle Ocposo is back for the Islanders. He only missed a couple of games, but the surprising and I guess disappointing thing about his return was that he didn't come back to play on the top line with John Tavares. He's actually been on the second line, and right now the lines are are pretty weird. It's been Ocposo with Nielsen and Kuhleman, and then Tavares has been with Josh Bailey and Anders Lee, and then I guess the second or third line has been Ryan Strome, Brock Nielsen, and Mikhail Grabowski. So I'm not sure exactly what they're doing on Long Island, but hey, it's been working at least for Ocposo. In his last game against Pittsburgh, he had 10 shots on goal. 10! You don't see that every day. He picked up an assist on the game. Surprisingly, no goals with all those shots. He's got assists in his two last games. He didn't have anything in his first two games since coming back. At the end of the day, he's still on the top power play, and he was able to put up points before when he wasn't on the top line at the beginning of the year. So I'm not too worried about Kyle Ocposo, especially if he could keep putting up those shots like he did against Pittsburgh. Another guy maybe worth watching, though, on the Islanders, Anders Lee, who I said was playing with John Tavares. He's also on that top power play. It's Tavares, Anders Lee, Franz Nielsen, and Kyle Ockposo, or at least that's what it was for the last game, then Nick Letty on defense. So there's a guy that might be available in your league and might be worth a pickup. On the flip side, though, he hasn't really been producing. He did have four shots in that game against Pittsburgh himself, but overall, he just has three points in his last nine games, and two of them came in one game against Toronto. So aside from that, he's been really quiet. But maybe that could change. Yeah, Anders Lee still getting a few shots off in good offensive opportunities, has a couple points to show for it, but really no Islanders are doing a very good job of scoring. If you look at their last 10 games, there's only two players who have more than five points in that span, and one of them is Kyle Ocposo, who missed two of the last 10 games. He has six points in his last eight. Tavares has seven in his last 10. Then there's a bunch, Nielsen, Bailey, Nelson, and Letty with five apiece. Everybody else is below that. And speaking of Letty, I've gotten a couple questions lately that have said, well, now that Boychuk's out, what does this mean for Letty's power play time? And the answer is it doesn't change. Boychuk was not getting a ton of power play time to start with. In fact, very minimal power play time each game is if at all. So Letty and Zizlitsky will continue being the guys to quarterback each power play unit. And I guess it's worth giving a little bit of credit to Letty. He's been able to do fairly well on the power play lately with points in his last four games, a goal and three assists. Only one of those came with the extra man though, and he has seven shots on goal as well. The problem with Letty, as we've stated a hundred times, is that if he's not scoring a point and he doesn't tend to score often or in bunches, he's not getting you any value in any other peripheral category either. So if anyone wondering how Boychuk's injury really affects the Isles decor, at least the Isles scoring, I don't think it does, at least from the blue line. The only guy that I'm going to be watching right now is Travis Hemenick to see if some increased minutes come for him 
and whether or not he can put up some peripherals in those minutes. I don't expect points to start coming from him, though, in this kind of role. Yeah, we didn't actually mention this Boychuk injury, but yeah, Johnny Boychuk is out. Apparently, he's going to be out weeks, not days. Yeah, so we'll see which defenseman can step up in his absence, and we'll see if Letty can keep up this mini run that he's on. I don't know. It's hard to expect it to happen when he's, you know, been basically the same role all year and hasn't been producing much. But maybe this recent resurgence of John Tavares, who's got four points in his last three games, maybe that's a big part of it. Obviously, when Tavares wasn't scoring, a lot of the Islanders weren't scoring, but now he's picking it up, and I guess he's going to bring a lot of people with him. Speaking of defensemen on hot streaks, we have to mention that since we mentioned on the last episode that you should probably pick up Dan Boyle since he's on the top power play and getting decent minutes on the Rangers, he's kept it up. He's up to eight points in his last 10 games and still pulling those big power play minutes. So if Boyle is still a free agent in your league, I'll just repeat what I said before. I think you should grab him. I know actually on the Facebook group, some people have been listing like a bunch of defensemen and asking which one is the one they should drop. And I remember a couple of people said Boyle. Brian, where were you on that? Like, do you think Boyle's going to be able to keep up this production or do you think this is more of a mirage? You know, nobody has really taken hold of that power play mantle for the Rangers. Like Ryan McDonough is still in the power play scoring conversation, even though that's really not his forte. Keith Yandel was the guy who was supposed to run away with it and he didn't. He has a fairly pedestrian eight points or underwhelming, I should say, eight points in 39 games played on the power play so far. Dan Boyle, I guess, is going to be there until Dan Boyle stops producing on the power play. And I anticipate that time will come at some point, although let's not forget earlier in his career, Dan Boyle was a fantastic power play quarterback. Looks like he's still got those skills at the moment. And he is a hard guy to drop right now, even when you've got like four established D-men who might not be doing as well as him right now, though. I would still let go of him in favor of a guy who I know is still going to be in that position in one or two months from now. But definitely not to take anything away from Dan Boyle. He's finally doing what we hoped he would do in New York when he was signed there prior to last season. Yeah, well, the nice thing about Boyle also, as opposed to a guy like Nick Letty, is at least if he doesn't give you the points, he might be able to help you in hits and blocks. I guess he hasn't had too many peripherals lately, but you can't complain when he's giving you the points. But he has also had games of like five and three blocks sprinkled in his past 10 games overall. Okay, and we're talking about old guys who used to be big stars in the league and are currently having a bit of a resurgence. We have to bring up Shane Doan. He scored a hat-trick against the Chicago Blackhawks on the 29th and then followed that up with two goals against the Jets on New Year's Eve. So he's basically on fire. Also, if you take a look, like his minutes are really up in Arizona. Like he was averaging only 17 minutes per game on the season, but lately he's been playing closer to 20. In the last game against Edmonton, he actually played 23 minutes. So I guess with Martin Hansel out. That might be affecting the ice time of some of the players on Arizona, but you know, they play different positions and just Shane Doan has really just been given more of a role lately and he's doing really well. He's also taking a ton of shots. He's got 17 shots in his last three games. That's not a mistake. In his game against Chicago where he had the hat-trick, he had nine shots on goal. He's also getting a very nice share of power play time. So, you know, everything in terms of, you know, his place in the lineup and his minutes and his power play time, all of that is indicating that he should be able to keep producing. Of course, on the other hand, he's 39 years old and only had 36 points last year. And, you know, overall only has 19 points in 29 games this year. And if you take out those five goals in his last three games, that would be much lower. So, Brian, what do you think moving forward? On one hand, it looks like Doan 
should be able to keep giving us some points. But on the other hand, it seems hard to believe that it'll happen. It is hard to believe, and you're right to be skeptical. I think, you know, a good game here and there is great for him, and the fact that he can do them close together is also a good thing for him, but he's not somebody that I'd be thinking, oh my goodness, I better add him and hang on to him for a long time. For sure, if you've got a spot on your team, might as well add him to your roster and stream him for as long as he's hot, but I don't think he's a long-term fix for any roster situations that you're looking to fix right now. And while we're on Arizona, why don't we just check in on Michael Bodker again, who is still just rolling along. He just finished a four-game point streak where he had seven points in four games. So technically seven points in his last five games, but in the game where the point streak ended, he still put seven shots on goal. His plus minus will kill you if your league counts it, but if it doesn't, what a great guy to have on your roster. Yeah, you know what? Surprisingly, in uh, Shane Doan's last three games, he's actually been a plus player. I know now you're talking about Bodker, who's been a minus player, but obviously we'd expect both of them to be pretty similar. I agree with you, by the way, about Doan. Like, don't expect him to help you like long-term, like two months from now. I don't know if he'll be still on your roster, but I definitely do like him now. And he's getting a lot of shots. So if your league counts shots, he also helps you there. But yeah, Bodker, he's basically almost up to 100% owned in ESPN. And for good reason, he's having an amazing season. He's up to 30 points in 38 games, which is definitely not what we would have expected when he went undrafted in most drafts. So that was a bunch of players that you might want to add to your team, players that are doing really well right now. On the other side, there are some players that have been disappointing their owners lately. So let's end the show, Brian, by each mentioning a couple of players that have been on the other side of the coin, people who have been disappointing us. Okay, I'm going to do something very controversial now, but I'm sure everybody expects me to point out when this happens. Artemi Panarin slowed down a little bit. Nothing that you need to be overly concerned about. And again, I have like plugged him as a 65-70 point player pretty early on into this season. But coinciding with the end of Patrick Kane's point streak, Panarin saw himself fall into a bit of a production rut as well. And while most of it looks like it's been resolved, my outstanding concern at the moment is that he has just two even strength points in his last 11 games. Now, to be fair, he also has four power play points in that time, giving him six points total in that span of 11 games. But I would like to see more regular even strength production from him. Although when you do get six minutes on the power play, as he did last game, it's nothing to be upset about if he only gets his points on the power play, not at even strength. Yeah, I know you had written in the doc, because of course, we've been talking about this episode for the past two weeks, and you were going to talk about how Panarin has slowed down because he had gone three games without a point. Of course, since you wrote his name down, he scored a goal against Arizona, got two assists against Colorado. So he's definitely still on track with 34 points in 39 games. It's been an amazing year. Yeah, he had also seen a bit of a dip in ice time at the time too. He'd seen a couple minutes shaved off what he was used to seeing this year. And even just recently, two games ago and four games ago, he played games where he saw between 15 and 16 minutes, which isn't fantastic. But again, I don't think it's anything to get overly concerned about. Just something to have observed. Yeah, well, one thing actually to look at in fantasy, and I noticed that and I took a look, if you see a player have a big dip in his ice time that's uncharacteristic, one thing to look at is like the team's shorthanded time in that game. Because like if you look at Panarin's game, Chicago against Arizona, the one where Chicago won 7-5 to on December 29th, yeah, Panarin only played 15 minutes overall, but this is a game where Duncan Keith played six minutes shorthanded. So there was a lot of time that he just was not needed on the ice. You know, if you just look at his even strength time, it was actually pretty similar to the other forwards on the team. So I'm not too worried about Artemi Panarin overall. I don't think those ice time dips were anything to be concerned with. And, you know, you're going to expect a couple of games every now and then where a player doesn't get a point. But he's been a huge star this year, and I'm happy to stay on hashtag Team Panarin. Who's your disappointing player? 
Okay, well, I guess I have to mention Henrik Lundqvist. It's hard, you know, because when we get a question on Twitter, I actually got a question yesterday. Someone was asking if they should drop Henrik Lundqvist, and I couldn't tell whether or not they were joking or not, but he has been, like, really brutal. Like, this is no longer just a couple of bad games in a row. Over the last month, he has an 878 save percentage, believe it or not, and his good starts have been few and far between. In fact, in his last nine games, he doesn't have any games above a 909 save percentage, and the large majority of them are below 900. Yesterday against Florida, let in three goals on 20 shots. Another stinker. Florida won 3-0. Obviously, he didn't get any run support there. But overall, it's just been really tough to start Henrik Lundqvist lately. Brian, is there anything we can cling to to make us think that this is temporary? Like, of course, you could just say, oh, he's Henrik Lundqvist. You know, overall, he still has a 920 save percentage on the year, and that just goes to show how well he was doing before. But, like, what's going on with this slump? Is there anything that indicates why this is happening and if it's going to end? You know, there are rumblings, maybe, that sort of the defensive scheme isn't quite working out right now in New York. But I don't know, like, if that should really be the place where we lay blame. I think Lundqvist has to wear this, and maybe this is where we start to consider well. He's 32 games in into a season in which he is going to be turning 34 years old and he's facing about 30 shots a night and can he keep handling an entire NHL season the way we expect him to? I sure hope the answer is yes. If it's any consolation, he had an 892 save percentage in December. His backup, Antiranta, did not fare any better at all, posting save percentages of 889, 667, 815, and 750 in his December start. So I don't know what's happening in New York. I expect the ship to be righted before long. There's nothing you can do about it if you're holding Lundqvist, but I still would start him every chance I get. Yeah, I agree. It'll take another couple of months of slumping like this before I would consider not starting Henrik Lundqvist, but obviously it has been disappointing and I'm sure he's blown a lot of weeks for his owners lately. Okay, here's a really random, probably not relevant consolation. A couple years ago, he had an 888 save percentage in December and then a 938 save percentage in January. That was the 2013-2014 season. And then last year, he had only a 916 save percentage in December and then a 946 in January. So at least for the last couple of years, he's been better in January than December. I guess you wouldn't get great odds if you were to bet that he's going to do better in January than December this year, considering like, how can he do any worse? Yeah, I mean, thought to like the struggles that he's had in the last couple seasons it's not unknown for him to have a rough month here or there which was uncharacteristic of him a few years ago but it seems to be the norm now let's hope this is just it maybe buy low yeah and i guess another guy you could either buy low on or consider a snoozer i'd be curious to know your opinion brian on the rangers you know the rangers overall have been disappointing i guess and maybe some of the blame should go to Derek stepan someone who we've loved on the podcast he only has one assist since he's come back from injury it's been six games now he had five shots in that game against florida Yesterday, he's still getting okay minutes, but overall, he's been a big disappointment. Do you expect him to bounce back? Yeah, I expect him to bounce back, but I can't say when. We had this issue with him last year, too. Remember, we had him on IR for a really long time, finally activated him, and then he did a whole lot of nothing for a very long time. And then eventually started producing, but still not at the pace that we wanted him to, like to make up for all the patience we'd already spent waiting for him. In shallower leagues, I wouldn't be afraid to drop him. I still think he's a good guy to have. It's just a matter of waiting for the right time, waiting for him to heat up. There's no doubt that he will. It just might be a while. Yeah, right now, definitely the center to own on the Rangers is Derek Broussard. He has 10 points in his last 12 games. He's been fine, as has Rick Nash, as has Matt Zuccarello, as has Dan Boyle, like we said. So there are good players to own on the Rangers, just Lundqvist and Stepan have not been among them. Okay, Brian, this has been a long one. There's still more players I see that we could talk about. We could talk about Nilsson and Talbot and what's going on in Edmonton. 
We could talk about some of the line changes in St. Louis. There's so many interesting things. We could talk about how Shea Weber had such an amazing December. We're not going to. Maybe we'll get to some of these things next week if they're still relevant. I'm sure there'll be a whole new week of content to cover. Oh, we could also mention how Johnny Oduya has been on quite a streak and has been getting blocks as well. There's so many people I wanted to talk about. I guess when you have two weeks off, that's what happens. But this has been a really fun episode. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We expect to continue to deliver content like this all throughout 2016. So make sure you're subscribed with whatever podcast subscription device you use. Also, make sure you're following us on Twitter and you know you could give us any feedback you have or ask us any fantasy questions on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear from you. If you wouldn't mind and could be so kind and you haven't done so yet you could always head over to itunes and give us a five-star review that really helps the show doesn't cost you a cent and helps raise our profile of course one thing that does cost you a little bit five dollars a month if you want to become a patron of the show we already talked about it you can check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information on how to do that but that's it for me looking forward to an exciting end of the fantasy season but in the meantime let's cue that outro music and brian read us the credits this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was supported by our patrons and presented by dauberhockey.com it was researched with help from dauber hockey's frozen pool hockey analysis war on ice roto world yahoo sports and espn fantasy hockey great job as always brian looking forward to talking to you again next week Likewise, Elon, until then, keep on keeping Carl Sons.